Welcome to Series 3 of Leading Between the Lines, a podcast from Alternique Inspired Growth that explores every aspect of people development. This series is hosted by me, Peter Thorpe, and Rosanna Machado, coaches at Alternique Inspired Growth. After the success of Series 2, we're delving deeper into the world of startups and fast-growing business. In the coming months, we'll be speaking to a variety of business leaders to find out how they create a positive employee experience and empower their people to succeed. So, make sure you tune in to discover how some of the world's most innovative organisations are thinking and the changes they're making to stay ahead of the competition. In today's episode, we're featuring an online e-commerce brand that sells personalised stationery. Papier was founded in 2015 and has experienced huge growth over the past seven years, recently raising $50 million to fuel expansion into the US market. As people director, Felicity Winkley has had the rewarding and I'm sure also challenging task of developing the culture in this fast growing organization. I'm Rosanna Machado, and this is Leading Between the Lines. Welcome, Felicity. Hi, Rosanna. Great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Tell me a bit more about Papier and and what's attracted you to working here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, as you said, I think you summed it up perfectly in your intro. Papier is an e-com startup that's been going now for about seven years. So we're definitely not kind of startup anymore. We're we're really getting into kind of growth mode and scale up. But I think, uh, you know, as as people who have worked in kind of these kind of businesses before the the like challenge and the attraction is how to keep some of that startup mentality as you scale and the kind of culture questions that come with it in terms of what kind of attracted me over to papier i think i already knew the brand i was a customer and that really helps um and definitely as as we're growing our kind of awareness that that's really nice it's great to work for a brand where you know when you're chatting to people ideally like one in three people know where you're working um and also i think having worked previously in somewhere that was kind of pure fintech i was quite interested in working in a different profile of business somewhere that had a tech element but which also had lots of different types of org structure that i hadn't encountered before roles that i had no idea about so it's been a kind of crash course in like buying and merchandising and some of those more traditional retail roles that i just haven't experienced so so that's been yeah that's been really interesting too. I love it. So they're about the challenge of how you maintain that kind of startup mentality. Tell me more about what's great about that mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think obviously when you're a really small organization, you can get by with very limited hierarchy because the comms are really easy and everybody knows what they're trying to do. You're all very much kind of behind one focused mindset. And you don't need to have to kind of worry about waterfalling information or keeping the right people in the know, because actually just everybody who needs to know just knows and you all just get on with it. Obviously, as you grow, you then have to add in depth. You can't just be one super wide, flat organization. And I think 
that then brings with it some of those challenges, how you have hierarchy without blocking off something like autonomy um, and how you make sure that people get that information at the right stage or don't feel like they're the last to find out about something because nobody likes that sensation. Um, so, so yeah, that that's definitely um, one of the kind of challenges. And then also the ability to get things done quickly, which kind of ties to that information surfacing process because if you, you can't just get things done if you don't know kind of why you're doing it or what's already been done or what somebody else is working on um so to try and make sure that you're removing as many barriers as possible and not losing pace I think um yeah it, that that's that's one of the kind of one of the big things I think yeah it's so interesting and and tell me a bit about your management style and how you help to maintain that kind of autonomy whilst working in such a fast-growing organisation? I think, um, obviously, it kind of comes down to how you as kind of leaders delegate or try and avoid delegation altogether. Uh, There's definitely a kind of aspect where, especially as kind of leadership, you shouldn't necessarily be making all the decisions. It should be the subject matter experts that you've employed to help you build this product or do whatever you're doing who are making those decisions rather than you. Otherwise, what was the point of employing them in the first place? Um, Obviously, at some points, it gets down to a stage where you as the exec are going to have to make a call. But otherwise, I think the best thing that you can do is try and empower those individuals and guide them towards making the right decision and one that everybody's happy with. Um, so I think that's I think that's the kind of most important thing, really, rather than because also there's nothing kind of worse for morale, I think, than for people to be say that you've got a kind of squad or a, like project Steerco working on something. They come up with a solution and then they present it back to leadership and somebody just goes, now, nah, I think we should do this instead. Well, that's, you know, a phenomenal waste of your time. It's really demotivating. Uh, you don't feel like your voice is being heard. All of those things that we know are really bad for engagement, basically. Um, So I think those are the things to kind of keep in mind, really. That's really interesting because I read something about how, you know, years ago, the the hierarchy was based on knowledge and level of skills. And as, you know, the markets got more complex, you are often leading and you're not necessarily the subject matter expert in that. And so what that means is people have gone for more of a coaching style of leadership because you're not necessarily the expert in that and it sounds like that's something that you really embraced oh yeah definitely and I think it's it's where actually my previous CEO was really really good at doing that and I think I learned a lot from that um and I think though it's 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 easier said than done because it actually it really relies on creating quite a strong amount of psychological safety for those individuals because if you've got somebody who is has not had as many years experience is new to these kind of growth organizations is being asked to take on quite a lot of responsibility that 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 is kind of palpable right if especially if you're in you know you might not be that particularly old or in that you know have been in the business for that long so to suddenly be asked to kind of make the the call on something I think you have to to, in order to be able to do that confidently you have to feel really really satisfied that 
that it's not going to kind of blow back on you if something goes wrong, basically, which I think is, again, really key to that startup mentality that actually it, it doesn't matter if something goes wrong or if you make a mistake. The key is then to kind of learn from that, to iterate quickly, to pick yourself up and not do it again, essentially. And that's where obviously things like build, measure, learn come in. Um, so, so yeah, I think I think it only goes so far, and you have to have you have to have a really strong kind of feedback, no blame culture. Yeah, and and how do you think you develop that kind of psychologically safe environment and that no blame culture? Because I know I read about it a lot, and yet you go into lots of organisations, and it, it it doesn't quite resonate across the organisation. What, what do you think it takes to build that and, you know, generally a good culture within an organisation? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely challenging, but I think it does come down to kind of a leadership or an exec who who are not going to to be too reactive when things do go wrong, because things will go wrong and we, we all make mistakes. At Papier, you mentioned, obviously, we've been moving into into the US that's been something where none of us have done it before. I've joined the organization as the people director. I, one of the reasons that I was attracted to it was the opportunity to do that. I've got no experience of doing international expansion. I was completely transparent about that. That's the learning opportunity that was attractive. Um, and obviously the team were kind of still happy to support me on that. And we've all been kind of, I hesitate to use the phrase making it up as we go along, but like learning, testing, and then obviously you're going to make some mistakes and all you can do is kind of roll with that and then think, well, if we did this again, or if we go into a different territory, we'll know for next time that that's something that we need to kind of bottom out first. But there's some things that you just don't know until you start the process. So uh, of a kind of, quite small landing party of individuals that we've sent across from the UK, you'd think they'd all go on the same visa. They don't. They don't all go for the same period of time. They all do slightly different functions. You know, like I'm balancing different kind of legal advice for all of them. That then comes with different tax advice and implications if they're on different. It, it's all like you just wouldn't be able to know that until you've started that process off because it doesn't get surfaced by the experts. Um, and no amount of like going out to network and asking about it is going to help really. So, so I think that's where I think it is challenging, but it means that when you sometimes have to send out that email that nobody likes sending out saying just to let you know I've heard that actually you know this hasn't quite worked out or we're going to have to pivot here or there's going to be an extra cost that we're exposed to or whatever that the response is I guess supportive and not just reactive not kind of coming down like a ton of bricks and saying why didn't we know about this um and you, because also that kind of response means that people will ultimately be put off from surfacing those problems going forward because they know that the reaction that they get is not good uh whereas you want people to be able to feel like they can come and say oh we found a problem because uh, there's nothing worse, especially in like tech companies. It's obviously so hard to kind of find out about that kind of detail. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a big challenge. What I love is that just you come really alive when you talk about the opportunity for your own learning and, and jumping into the uncertainty. Is that something that is important to you personally in the roles that you take on? 
Yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely pretty comfortable with not knowing all the answers. And I think that that that's something I guess it comes from having had a bit of a research background in a completely different area. Uh, I think that's a nice challenge to to go away and try and find the answers and to 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 like make yourself the most informed person in the room. That doesn't have to mean that you're like the expert, but I definitely take quite seriously my role as you know the person who's going to go out and find that information and come back play it back to the exec give them all of the kind of picture and then say this is my recommendation but what what do you think basically and then obviously that's again quite a nice kind of feeling of like safety or reassurance because it's a kind of collaborative decision rather than you just operating in complete silo um so I think that that also helps Brilliant. And and we were talking there about the sort of how you're building the company culture. What role do you think values play within growing that culture? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a really good question. Um, and obviously one that we've kind of been thinking about. I think that the 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 challenge with culture, and we know that the challenge with culture as you scale is how to codify it, how to make sure that the new people coming in uh, are familiar with it, recognize it, and also that their version matches the kind of version of your longer tenured employees. And I think values are a really important way of doing that because they essentially are your signposts internally and externally for prospective candidates about like what what it's like to work somewhere what are the behaviors that you really recognize and promote how you like to get things done um and also to that extent like what are the behaviors that you don't really tolerate um because also that that's important for your people to know i guess um so so yeah that's that's i think where where values come in um and i think we were reflecting at papier on uh updating our values to make sure that they're actually working a bit harder for us now that we're at this stage because the the ones that we do have in place feel a little bit kind of well they're not working very hard they're not doing necessarily what they need to be doing they're not particularly specific to papier they don't feel particularly personal and i think in other aspects our brand identity is so strong people are so clear on our our, our mission and our vision and our, our tone of voice in other areas um so it just it's a little bit funny that these that these values are still kind of slightly languishing in the background um and i think it's a really nice opportunity then to check in against those as part of that exercise um, and, and kind of what I'd ideally like to do is essentially almost audit the company against them. So look at our policies versus the values, look at the engagement survey data and what that's telling us, look at things like, I mean, our disciplinary record is, is absolutely like fine. There's almost none to speak of basically, but if you're in a larger organization, and you had like multiple disciplinaries that you could look at what what are those disciplinaries you know like hold yourself accountable against the behaviors that you're actually seeing 
versus what your values are because also there's no point I guess to go back to something like the the autonomy point there's no point having a value which speaks to autonomy and ownership if in practice it's the highest paid person who's making all the decisions in the same way you you don't want to have a value that talks about transparency but actually nobody hears about how the business is performing for example so I think it's it's a nice opportunity to kind of hold up a mirror and basically do a bit of an exercise there so that that that's what we're planning over the next few months hopefully and and I think the thing about values is lots of company or most companies have them but they can be a list that many employees can't actually remember or they just appear on a website or on a wall as you walk into the foyer and yep. and I'm wondering how you you know really bring those values to life for people so that you know they become and it's interesting that you talked about how the kind of external brands and who you are is is really strong so it, it it feels like the external um, you is is great, and and you're now trying to kind of reflect that in internally. What does that mean for us within the values, and and how do you bring those to life so that you know they're not just five words that I get told when I join the company? Well, exactly, and I think it is really challenging. It's challenging to do that in a way that doesn't seem kind of cynical to your point about like the word art it's like avoid the word art at all costs I think um but then that is you know there's clearly a way that that helps with the kind of with, with getting people to remember them there's no doubt about that um I think yeah you know our, our internal brand and culture I think if you if you asked any kind of pap what that was and how to describe it my feeling is that we'll get quite a common answer it's just that we haven't put the same effort into actually kind of defining that and capturing that anywhere in the same way that we have potentially with our kind of external facing brand um so it's just an opportunity to try and bottle that really um i think there are different ways that you can that you can make them kind of resonate uh, in my previous company, we actually went through two rounds of doing our values exercise because when I was first there, we had none and we, we did a, a first stab. And that was when we were very scrappy. And the, the solution that we came up with was that each value was represented by a classic album. And so we had those albums up on the wall, which kind of avoided the word art. But then the only problem was that when you have... Um, when you have some values that uh that potentially could kind of it was almost too abstract basically mm -hmm. because people were like well i know that it's daft punk discovery but is that innovation or is that something like is that technology like yeah. they couldn't actually quite like your own interpretation of that music could be yes quite different. <laughs> exactly um and people were always like i don't remember what the beatles rubber soul is because we hadn't been able to think of a, an album that actually summed up being agile uh that was better than rubber soul so um it's it is i i do kind of i do empathize with the challenge when we then got a bit more we got a bit more grown up and we got a bit more sophisticated we did another kind of major values refresh and rebrand at the same time as doing uh, our kind of full rebrand and and that was really helpful actually just to have kind of marketing agency expertise because as people people we're not necessarily the best people to come up with like a really amazing tagline that captures all of that um and that was definitely helpful because they were able to 
take those values and distill them into more memorable uh, almost like soundbitey taglines and that that definitely helped to to kind of cement them in the consciousness and at the same time when we were thinking about how to activate those internally we did quite a big exercise on our on our kind of internal recognition to make sure that actually the way that we were recognizing and calling people out and celebrating them was very clearly linked to the values um, and that was then a really good way of making sure that, like, not only were we increasing the amount of recognition that we were doing internally, but that people were actually thinking about, well, why, why am I like celebrating my colleague for this? Like, what have they done? And how does it link to the behaviours that we actually, that we actually kind of want to see? Um, and then there's other kind of little bits of work we did, like, even just create an emoji for each of them so that then when you're doing that internal recognition in Slack, people can react with the emojis and then it's all there and it kind of starts to embed itself. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think you do need to think particularly, as you say, Rosanna, like beyond the experience of that person who's first joining your business, where presumably they're in your induction material and people are quite clear, but like six months down the line, how, like how are you going to remind people about them and they definitely have a role in the performance review cycle I think it's just again that's something to quite carefully navigate because obviously they are an element of performance but they don't they they ought, they ought to be weighted correctly versus the other um kind of technical skills and, and things that you're that you're trying to review against so so yeah it'll be interesting to see what we end up doing at Papier, basically. I love that about having emojis to, to represent each of the values. That's that's brilliant. And, and what I'm hearing is you made a real concerted effort there to make sure that the values live and breathe and are part of kind of everyday life rather than just kind of corporate speak that you know about is actually part of who you are and how you behave and how you act. And I think that's that's really lovely. Um, and and kind of linked to the values and linked to kind of how you're motivating yourself. I'm I'm interested in hearing how how you kind of keep that team bonding going. Just you know, outside of the kind of day job, how do you keep the culture going on a kind of more social or a, and a well being level for people? Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I think obviously that's where that's where the kind of people and, and kind of office experience folks can work really well together to make sure that the whole experience is kind of joined up, really welcoming. I think it's about offering a, a range of different activities so that there's something, obviously you might not be able to come up with something for everyone, but that it's not just one size fits all, that there's, there's a range of different things to get involved in. We have a couple of different pillars that we use for approaching it. So we have the kind of social pillar, which is your more kind of generic, I guess, like opportunities to socialize with food and drinks and things like that. Um, and that tends to happen as a standard uh, at least once a month after our monthly like all hands town hall that we have um, and then equally we try and put quite a lot of onus on kind of creative activities so once every month or six weeks we do what we call a school trip so that's when everybody in the business is offered to to go um, and we arrange a specific kind of visit to uh, a gallery or museum normally with some kind of curator tour 
quite often it's it's outside of hours which is great so we get a kind of sneak peek at somewhere like the Whitechapel Gallery for example um, and, and that's a really great opportunity not just for our kind of creative and design teams but for everybody else to get a little bit of exposure uh, because everybody who works at Papier I think joins the business because they're attracted to the brand and that creativity, even if you don't necessarily get a chance to kind of flex it that much in your day job. Um, and we also do really nice internal little workshops that are run by our, our creative or design teams where they, they kind of teach us how to do a particular kind of art technique or something like that. Um, and that's quite a nice opportunity to kind of have, have fun as well as like learning from them. And then, yeah, we've got your usual kind of book club, board game nights, things like that. Uh, and then there's definitely a big uh, kind of wellness pillar that we try to to um, make sure that we're, we're not neglecting as well. So fortnightly yoga and, and other kind of things like that. We did a um, gong bath meditation thing a few months ago, which was great. Uh, very kind of ASMR, a lady with a huge range of, of gongs. Uh, <laughs> so that was good. Sounds amazing. I'd love a job. <laughs> <laughs> it was a shame because I couldn't actually attend, but I was in a Zoom booth on the other side of the wall. So I was kind of, it was a bit like being in Doctor No. I was kind of re just resonating. Oh, um, yeah, it was good. Oh, brilliant. Um, and you talked there about creativity, which um, that's something close to my heart and something I like to bring into my coaching and, and all areas of my work and because I believe that everyone is creative in their own way tell me a bit more about you know what creativity means to you personally yeah I mean I think for me I I uh well I, it's a hard question I guess um it's something that is really important to me and has has always kind of featured in part of my my life my dad was an architect my mum worked in contemporary applied art so I've always been I guess exposed to that kind of thing although I then chose to go more down the kind of museums and, and ancient objects kind of line but I definitely I enjoy having the opportunity to kind of flex creatively in my in my thinking um, and I think even when you're trying to kind of attack a piece of work creatively that's where putting pen to paper really helps um, which I think is definitely an ethos obviously that goes down well at Papier where everybody is there because they believe in the power of, of paper essentially um, so yeah it, it's good to I think work somewhere where creativity is encouraged uh, and promoted I think the challenge is to make sure that in your working week you're finding the time to be able to do that creative thinking or that creative work and that is definitely easier said than done in a in a kind of high growth fast-paced organization so that's that's the challenge for me and my team really is is how to create that space I think um, and also I think when people are kind of stressed out or burnt out, that's the first thing that goes, right? Because you're you're just in kind of survival mode. You haven't got the luxury to, to kind of be spreading out and messing around and, and thinking, you know, well, trying to think outside the box and, and weigh up all your different options. You just have to hone in with kind of laser focus on the first thing that springs to mind and go for it. And so again, that that's where I think there's a role for the people team to try and keep like burnout reduced as far as possible um to make sure that that the individuals who need to be creative can really open up without having to worry about that 
Yeah, and it's really interesting you say that because I think the irony is the more stressed and busy we are, the more we need self-care routines, those bouts of creativity, because actually we would then be far more productive in the rest of our day if we took 15 minutes out to do something. So I'm wondering how, you know, what, what are your tips for encouraging that amongst your employees in that fast growing environment? Because I get the challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I guess the first thing I would say is that we definitely at Papier have not solved that yet. And it's something that I'm actually working on with our CPO and our design director, creative director uh, at the moment. Um, and, and and a couple of others who are who are really interested in that as a kind of as a as a like strategic agenda in its own right. We have things like at the moment our tech team work in two fortnightly sprints and then they have a week off before the next sprint cycle, which is called Space to Create, uh, which is I think a great opportunity for them to identify opportunities that they want to work on that don't necessarily uh, produce a kind of outcome that's building towards a business goal um, and is, is, is untethered from that basically which gives them some freedom but then obviously everyone else in the business is like well why does tech get that can I have a week space to create please um, and we, we we don't have that facility for some of our other teams and so then the question to your point Rosanna is like yeah how how do you do that um, I think it, it it is somewhere where it, it can be really helpful if you do create um kind of dedicated uh space in the diary um we we, we already do uh, a meeting free wednesday which i think is quite a good opportunity to obviously make sure that you're not on zoom you're not kind of required to to be on call to people um and you you then have that clear day ahead of you which i think is really important um to be able to to kind of have space to spread out into rather than trying to do a bit of creativity on the clock i think is a is an absolute nightmare basically um we do a couple of other things we we obviously uh, do things like the school trips, a, a lot of them have kind of inspiration trips, including going abroad, which I think is really helpful. Um, everybody at Papier, regardless of what team you work in, gets a creative allowance. So that's kind of once a month, uh, that's an, an allowance to spend on anything kind of inspiring, um, which includes obviously going to museums and galleries and stuff like that. But it doesn't answer the question of, of what to do uh, during the kind of working week. I think for me, there's a couple of things uh, that, that we can support on that might help. One of which is visibility. So I think providing more regular platforms to kind of internally celebrate the work that the creative teams are doing um, is, is, a, is gonna be both good for kind of celebrating them and recognizing them, but also obviously for making everybody else feel like they're tangibly linked to, to that creative part of the business and not just kind of working you know, in a vacuum without seeing the amazing work that's going on. But also I think, um, I think knowledge sharing is gonna be really key for us. So that's something that I was also exploring with the team is 
the our creative and design teams are obviously really really good for example at kind of giving and receiving feedback they have to do it day in day out the rest of us potentially are not so good uh that's definitely one of my kind of development areas is i find it quite hard to to kind of take on constructive feedback um and so yeah you know that's that's an area i think that they can that they can be really helpful in in knowledge sharing with the business but also I guess it's a way of house training other individuals as well on how to work with the creative team. Um, because actually, unless you properly put in the time to train somebody on how you like to, to receive feedback, um, you can't, I don't think, expect somebody to critique creative work in the right way necessarily. Um, and so I think that that's, again, kind of ties back to helping to try and reduce some of those stress points. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's really interesting that whole culture of feedback, because I think, particularly in the UK, we, we take feedback, negative feedback as quite a kind of insult on our personality. And if we could get to that point of kind of collective growth as an organisation, personal growth, and see everything in that light, then, you know, we could possibly take that feedback more constructively, but it, but it, you know, it, it, requires a lot of self-awareness and an understanding that actually it comes from a good place and it's so that we can all better ourselves but oh of course and I think you have to be you have to be feeling pretty confident and pretty resilient in order to then take that on which obviously over the last 24 months in particular a lot of our resilience has been tested um, but yeah, no, somebody in, in the team yesterday or the other day was, was talking about kind of feedback being a gift. And I said, oh, oh well, you know, not all feedback. And, and they were like, well, yes, all feedback. And I was like, OK, well, you're just a better human than I am, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, you're you're completely right, Rosanna. And I think also from my perspective, it goes back to the point of internal recognition and celebration is if you feel like you get as regular positive feedback and recognition of the work that you're putting in and your achievements, then obviously that makes you feel more comfortable when you receive constructive feedback because you're able to put it in the context of like, oh, I'm not a terrible person. I'm not awful at my job because actually I had X, Y, Z very positive comments. But if that aspect is missing, and all you've got to kind of take home with you and think about in the middle of the night is that piece of constructive feedback, then it can feel, I think, a little bit, um, I guess, out of proportion with everything else. Um, and so that's where that's where that kind of recognition comes in. And that, that's an area that I'm definitely really keen to, to kind of grow at Papier. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the days of kind of being called into an office to be reprimanded has made people anxious about that constructive feedback and if it can be regular good and constructive feedback on a daily basis it becomes part of the norm part of the culture and then kind of it doesn't feel like this big scary thing that you're about to get told off for doing something <laughs> bad um so I think yeah I, I love that whole feedback culture um I'm also interested in in you know the word creativity because I think that can be can put people off so you know people that I've worked with people that worked in finance and they say well I'm not creative I just do the numbers where I think everyone has the capability to be creative but it's about it feeling like it's accessible to everyone and I'm wondering how you 
you create that culture where even if you're not in a you know creative job as such you feel able to be creative yeah I mean it, it, that that is definitely a challenge and and how yeah particularly some of those teams like how, how to to make them feel like they they have that opportunity I guess maybe we can we we don't always have to call it creativity we could call it experimentation or innovation or or some of those things that might feel a bit more of a kind of comfortable territory um and I think it, it kind of almost goes back to the point that we were talking about earlier with not being afraid to fail or to to experiment and make mistakes um just to to provide that space really to to kind of explore other potential solutions and i think i think a lot of people would then be able to to acknowledge that they do do things uh where they've had to explore a range of kind of potential solutions and, and test and then come back with something um uh, and yeah, you're not just kind of following a script or being a monkey with a typewriter. Yeah, brilliant. And it sounds like you've got a lot going on in the business with, you know, your work on the values and the culture. What's on the horizon for the next few months? Oh, yeah. I mean, basically, this is very timely because it, it is things like um, it, it's the values and also our uh, how we do performance review is something that we're going to be revisiting um, at the same time as looking at we've got an internal levelling structure that we use, uh, which is starting to kind of creak under the strain now that we've doubled in size. Um, so creating more space there trying to come up with progression frameworks, linking that into how we do performance review um, and kind of putting that all together, I think, as, as something that's a more of a coherent whole. Um, and yeah, otherwise it's kind of business as usual um, and trying to keep motoring, supporting, I guess, with hiring. But really in the last, yeah, in the last 12 months we've gone, we were 67 people when I joined and we're now 119. So I think it's really key now as well to kind of let the dust settle, to let those people start, um, you know, as they move into kind of three months, six months in the role to start spreading out, because then you obviously get the opportunity to see what people are really good at, to identify where you maybe have gaps in the team that either your current people might want to spread out into, or actually they might not be at all interested in that area. And that's where you then want to create a role to fill that space. Um, to, so it, it's good to have an opportunity, I think, to stay, take stock and, and observe some of that in, in yes. practice. So that, yes. that's also what I'm looking forward to is easing off the accelerator a little bit and just uh, having a look around basically. Brilliant. And and tell me if, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about your role, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a really tough question. I think I I, I don't know what other people have said to you, Rosanna. Uh, I either would think more hours in the day um, because that's the trouble is you have all of these super ambitious projects and I would love to be able to kind of come up with them all and do an amazing job first time on all of them. But by the time you're doing that, as well as BAU stuff, um, which in people, you know, you can never predict when stuff is going to come up uh, is quite ambitious. I think the only other thing that I would say is kind of unlimited funding so I could invest in all the other areas that I would like to, because I think if you had unlimited cash, you could obviously do an amazing job of providing all these kind of services and benefits to people, which would be great. 
but unfortunately in real life you have to make a few sacrifices but oh so more time and more money would yes make but it that's where creativity it. comes in yeah. because you have to get creative with less funds and less time uh, I always think people are more creative with less funds and actually you often get to a better result because when you put those constraints and barriers in place it, it makes you think differently yeah you have to be really selective yeah absolutely yeah. Um, and finally, like I'm interested, you know, your job is is to look after everyone within the organisation, keep them happy, help their growth. What do you do personally to ensure, you know, you keep your own well-being in check and that you are growing as a person? Oh, that's I mean, that's assuming that I am growing as a person. <laughs> um, no, it's a really good question. And I think that. It, it sounds, I don't know, it, 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 I was about to say it doesn't sound great, but that was one of the positives of the last few kind of COVID years, as I think it made uh, the kind of people in HR community reach out to each other, like network better, because we all realised that actually we, we were in a pretty tough position. There was definitely a point in lockdown where I was furloughing people on Zoom back to back in my kind of flat. And I, and I thought this is, this is pretty flipping hard, basically. Um, and I think that that made us all realise that we did, that it was really important to look after ourselves in order to then be able to deliver the service that we wanted to. Um, so I think I've, I've definitely, that, that made me get a bit better at self-care. Uh, in terms of whether or not I have any particular kind of hacks or processes, I'm I'm quite low maintenance. I do have my Papier gratitude journal, which is actually really nice. Um, I think that's I, I'm not a very good kind of journal keeper, but doing I can do three lines a day. That's a pretty low barrier to entry for somebody like me, um, and that's definitely helpful to kind of I think it's really good just to close off each day before you go to sleep, trying to reflect on, on the positive. Um, so that between that and the cat, I would say. <laughs> sounds brilliant. It sounds like you've got your head, your hands full, but actually um, I can tell you're still really enjoying it and thriving within the role. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed our chat and uh, good luck with the next few months. Oh, thank you. No, thanks for having me. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you're interested in seeing and listening to more of our content, please follow us on our LinkedIn page where you'll find more industry-related articles. Just head over to LinkedIn and search for Alternique Inspired Growth. Rosanna or I will be back soon with another episode and we look forward to you joining us then.